The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Curiosity is my act of resistance. It propels me in science and in my life to push beyond what is expected or known and dive into the unknown. Hi, everyone. It's Wednesday. This is the Next Big Idea Daily, and I'm your host, Michael Kavanagh. Now, I don't know where you are or what time of day you're listening to this, but if you can, I invite you to take a look up at the sky. What's up there, past the sun, beyond the Milky Way? How much time do you spend wondering about that, thinking about the cosmos, the vast reaches of outer space? Most of us do reflect on it from time to time, but few of us have channeled that curiosity into a lifelong passion the way Serafina Elbardi Nance has. Serafina is an Egyptian-American astrophysicist who's participated in NASA's space simulation missions. She's been awarded fellowships by the National Science Foundation, and her work has been featured by the BBC, NPR, National Geographic, and other outlets. Serafina has written a fascinating book called Starstruck, a memoir of astrophysics and finding light in the dark. In it, she explores not only her fascination with the cosmos, but her more down-to-earth struggles as well, with her career, her health, her anxieties. Here she is to share some of her key insights. I've been in love with the night sky since I was five years old. I've always been obsessed with space. During car rides to school, I would listen to NPR's Stardate. At night, I stargazed with my dad. As someone who has struggled with anxiety for as long as I can remember, the enormity and endless wonder of the night sky provides me a sense of much-needed perspective. It reminds me how small our daily struggles are in the grand expanse of the universe, while reinforcing a sense of connection with the universe, with each other, and within ourselves. Despite my love for the cosmos, for most of my life, I didn't believe that science was possible for someone like me. I felt out of place in the halls of science and was repeatedly told, both explicitly and implicitly, that I don't belong. As a woman, as an Egyptian-American, as a student to whom physics or math didn't come particularly easily. Yet my love for the night sky served as my reprieve. As I forged onward in carving out a place for myself in the world, ultimately becoming an astrophysicist, that passion and curiosity has been my ballast. It has kept me grounded so that I have the courage to explore the universe. During the summer of my fifth grade year, I went to science camp in the Texas Hill Country and for the first time in my life met a professional astronomer. What should have been a thrilling meeting, he had my dream job, ended up as one of the most formative, defeating moments of my life. When I confessed that I wanted to be an astronomer too, he replied that astronomy wasn't for someone like me. I was devastated. Social conditioning and stereotypes often discourage women, especially women of color, from pursuing careers in male-dominated fields like astronomy and physics. 
What's worse, these barriers are easily internalized as insidious beliefs about ourselves. I'm not cut out for this and never will be. When I was in 11th grade, my astrophysics teacher turned the notion of who could be a scientist on its head when he told the class that science is about curiosity. It's the thrill of exploration, a desire to endeavor to understand the unknown. I had that, I told myself. That curiosity is my act of resistance. It propels me, in science and in my life, to push beyond what is expected or known and dive into the unknown. I've struggled with anxiety ever since I can remember. It always feels like a hot pit in my stomach, a learned sense of dread descending down my spine, an enormous weight on my chest, and an inability to breathe. I wonder if I'm a failure or if I'm good enough. I wonder if I'm worthy of being alive. Anxiety is both physical and emotional. It has made me ill and taken me to the emergency room, made me question my self-worth and reinforced toxic relationships. But anxiety has also helped me achieve my wildest dreams. It has motivated me to work hard and pursue my goals. It's landed me in a PhD program at my dream institution, in a Mars analog astronaut simulation, in a Sports Illustrated swimsuit magazine, places I never would have thought I'd belong. I've learned to find comfort in the discomfort and lean into my anxiety. That has become my normal. Anxiety isn't good or bad. It just is. Rather than trying to eliminate it, I'm learning to live in partnership with it. I credit anxiety with my greatest achievements and also my worst beliefs about myself. By embracing it, I learn to embrace myself. When I was 23, my dad was diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer. Soon afterwards, we learned that he carries the hereditary cancer-causing BRCA2 mutation. After some blood tests, we learned that I carry it too. The mutation gives me an 87% lifetime risk of breast cancer and over 30% risk of ovarian cancer. As my dad navigated his own cancer treatment, I worried that this would be my fate too. When I was 25, I had my first breast biopsy and learned firsthand what it was like to navigate my own health journey. Thankfully, the spot of concern was benign, but in my anxiety-fueled state, I recognized that I never wanted to endure that fear again. I didn't want to wait for cancer to find me, like it had my dad and grandmother. In the process, I discovered my agency, my sense of choice, and decided to have a preventative double mastectomy. The amputation would reduce my risk of breast cancer to less than 5%. Still, Many surgeons refused to meet with or operate on me. I was told that I was too young, that I don't yet have cancer, that I'd be removing my womanhood. Still, I pushed forward until I found a medical team that I trusted. In short, I learned to advocate for myself. 
I grieve my lost breasts, of course, but through that process, I discovered something essential about myself. I am my own best advocate. The same is true for carving out a place for myself in science. Only I can determine what is best for me and my body, what I am capable of. The body is powerful. Not only does it represent your own lived experiences, but it carries a record of the past. The stories of our ancestors can shape our body schema, and their genetic footprint continues on from one generation to the next. Genes remember. In my case, I carry the BRCA mutation lineage from my dad's side, and that inherited risk shapes the way I live my life. I have gotten a double mastectomy and will screen for ovarian cancer for the rest of my life. I will approach my fertility differently because of my mutation. On my mom's side, her anxieties and fears, many of which are shaped by being a Middle Eastern immigrant in the States, are carried forward in my own body in the form of intergenerational trauma. Our bodies are shaped in a very physical way by one another but it is up to us to determine what we do with that. Through therapy and community, we can break the cycle of intergenerational trauma. Through research and informed medical decisions, we can mitigate hereditary health risks. Our ancestors give us the gift of our story, but we have the agency to write our own journeys. Thank you, Serafina, for sharing your inspiring story. Listeners, come on back tomorrow when we'll shift gears and ask the question, has the internet gone off the rails? It seems like the technologies designed to help us connect and learn have instead led to inequality, lack of privacy, and widespread disinformation. We'll hear from the three Stanford professors who wrote System Error, Where Big Tech Went Wrong, and How We Can Reboot. If you'd like to hear that today, check it out on our Next Big Idea app. I'm Michael Kavnat. See you tomorrow.